0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. And I'm Lucy Main, a master's student at Monash University. Like some food for thought?
0: Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Patman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood, let's get radical about philosophy. <laughs> Hi, yeah. My name is Vanessa Lem. I'm a professor of philosophy at the University of New South Wales and... Right, and you listen to Radical Philosophy on the 3CR community radio. <laughs> From now on, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Freeze, fellas, you're under arrest. What do I do?
1: Um, call a lawyer? Hello, Fitzroy Legal Service. Mm-hmm. Okay. well, if you are arrested, you should make a no comment interview.
0: A no comment interview? Yeah. Well, how do I do that?
1: You say... No no comment!
0: comment. To everything?
1: Yes, except your name and address. Every other question you should answer with no comment.
0: So if he asks me what colour my
1: shoes are, I say no comment? Yes, you say... No no comment! comment. To everything? Yes, say... No no comment. comment! If you are arrested, exercise your right to contact a lawyer and say no comment. Fitzroy Legal Service, proudly supporting 3CR.
0: And welcome to Radical Philosophy. I'm your host, Beth Matthews. Today we're going to have part one of a three-part series of interviews on social norms. So, enjoy. And I'm speaking to Dr. Lena Erickson about social norms. Welcome to the program.
1: Hello. Thank you very much for inviting me. Now, what would your
0: definition of social norms be?
1: Well, it's one of those phenomena that people define in slightly different ways. But I think the most sensible definition that that captures most of what people put into this is that it's widely shared normative requirements to behave in a particular way. Together with also widely shared beliefs that most people actually do behave that way and that they expect you to behave that way. If you notice, the word norm in English is ambiguous between what we ought to do and what most people do do. And a social norm brings those two aspects together. So it's both about what we ought to do and what most people do do and how we expect each other. To respond to these things, a social norm also comes with a sanctioning a system. If you do not behave as you are expected to do, then you are punished in some way or another now that might be just um just a just a um, disapproving look or it could be a comment someone tells you off, but it could also be quite serious it could be. Um, negative gossip that really affects your life. It could be complete social ostracism. It could even be violence.
0: Mm, Yeah, no, it's a very fascinating subject. So what was it that inspired you to study social norms?
1: Well, a group of of people that I was working with, we we realised that social norms, once we started thinking about social norms, we realised social norms were everywhere they affect almost every aspect of our life. When we think about moral behavior, it turns out that a whole lot of what we think we ought to do are connected into the social elements of our life together rather than just abstract principles. So very much of a study of ethics in practice turns out to be a study of social norms and once you start thinking about social norms per se we realize that there are social norms that have very little to do with what we normally would think of as ethics but they they determine so many aspects of our everyday life for example they determine how we greet each other if we hug each other kiss each other shake each other's hands and nod to each other They determine whether we line up in a queue for the bus, whether we take turns buying each other coffee or drinks, how we raise our children, what is part of good parenting, what is not good part of good parenting. Uh, It determines whether we take bribes. It determines what kind of education we enroll for, what kind of jobs we apply for, how hard we work, whether we show up for work on time, how much time we spend on work on Facebook, Whether we use violence, when we use violence, and so on and so on. So once we started thinking about social norms, we realized that they are incredibly important phenomena. It's almost impossible to understand social life without also paying attention to social norms. And that's why we were so fascinated with this topic.
0: Yeah, you mentioned before about uh, if you do something that's inappropriate against social norms, it can cause violence. So I, w- I was going to ask the question, are social norms always beneficial? But they're obviously not, are they?
1: No, no, they're not. So in, often we talk about only the good sides of social norms, right? how they enable us to solve all sorts of cooperation problems, how they allow us to coordinate our behaviour with that of, of others, how they allow us to solve conflicts peacefully and organize our social life smoothly in all sorts of ways but sometimes their effect is really destructive for example we might have there are social norms that dictate that if you're going to be among the cool kids in school you need to smoke or a young woman can signal that she's sophisticated by smoking these are social norms that make make it very difficult for health professionals to make people quit smoking because the social norms surrounding smoking are still strong in some in in some parts of society and make people smoke in order to send the right signals and fit in with the right groups behave accordingly to those kinds of standards while similarly on the other hand if you can get a different social norm which we have in other parts of our society surrounding smoking uh, smoking becomes a negative phenomena that people frown upon and suddenly there's a social norm against smoking so social norms can be good or they can be bad for us there are lots of other examples of bad social norms norm social norms can cause violence so for example there's a famous vendetta norm which says if somebody insults you you have to You have to defend your honor, in particular your masculine honor, by taking revenge upon them in a way that's worse than what they did to you. But then they have to take revenge upon you even worse, and there we go, until somebody's dead. Sometimes lots of people are dead. So norms about masculinity and revenge can cause great destruction to society. In um, some parts of the U.S., they have a great problem with the social norm among some teenagers in schools, that the way to show that you are tough and brave and cool is to bring guns into schools. So in in order to get rid of these kinds of norms, it's not enough to just provide information that they are bad norms. Normally, people know that they are bad norms, but it's because of the expectations about about our behavior, what we think others do and what we think others think and what we think others expect of us, that we keep performing behavior that we know is not good. Bad norms can lead us to take bribes. It can be accepted, even required behavior, to take bribes in certain kinds of circumstances. It can lead us to discriminate against ethnic minorities or against women or against gay people. It can uphold very damaging traditions like female genital mutilation, for example. All of these things and many, many more are examples of bad norms, norms that have a destructive effect on our society.
0: So do gender roles affect social norms?
1: Yes, they do. Or perhaps rather more correctly, we should say that gender roles partly consist of social norms. For example, it's a social norm that men do not do as much household work as their female partners. And it's a social norm that women are the parents who take parental leave. So notice how this becomes a social norm, or how this is a social norm. If a mother does not take parental leave when she has a baby, she will face social condemnation for being a bad mother, because it's widely believed that mothers, but not fathers, ought to be home with their babies and also widely believed, that most mothers are home with their babies. Everyone who has a baby will be aware of these expectations on them to behave accordingly, right? And if they don't comply, they will face sanctions in various ways. They will be gossiped, they will be frowned, there will be various comments that you're not, a, you know, you're not a good mother, you're not a real mother, a real mother should be home with their baby. We have the same effects on men and boys. Consider a boy who wants to do ballet. Well, we know that there is a strong, widely shared view that boys are not supposed to want to do ballet. Most boys do not, in fact, take ballet classes. And they are very well aware that there are expectations against them taking ballet classes because ballet classes are associated with femininity. If they do take ballet classes anyway they often face sanctions of various ways. So social norms that define or help us define and help us perform masculinity and femininity and so on shape these gender roles and are part of what these gender roles mean. And these norms obviously have an enormous impact on our, on our lives. But it's partly, partly because of the sanctioning system built into these social norms that gender roles are so hard to change and in particular that people who do not conform to the gender roles find that very, very difficult and and face all all of this disapproval that's expressed in different ways from society.
0: You're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio and I'm speaking to Dr. Lena Erickson about social norms. So what impact does different cultural values have on social norms?
1: It's difficult really to see how cultural values and social norms could ever be completely separate phenomena. They are bound up with each other in various ways. Take the cultural value of equality, for example. When we try to specify what it means for a society to be characterised by equality, we inevitably come down to social norms. The social norm, for example, of not bowing or scraping for your betters, as it was once called. In Sweden, where I come from, it's actually the fact that as a way of capturing the cultural value of equality, we have changed the social norm of addressing people. It used to be that we had the, the Swedish version of Mr. and Mrs. and Doctor and Professor and so on, but there was a change in social norm to better capture their understanding of equality such that we do not use titles anymore. So Swedes would refer to each other with a first name or if it's slightly formal with both names but they would not uh, refer to someone with a title. I think that if, if you were to name any other Australian cultural value I'm pretty sure, I can't guarantee but I'm pretty sure that I can come up with some examples of social norms that express in practice that value and kind of specify in practice how we are to behave in order to express that value. You can also notice that some parts of culture are almost completely arbitrary. We could have done things differently, we just didn't happen to do that. But because certain behaviors are expected, because certain behaviors become social norms, Not behaving in that way takes on significant social meaning in a way that it didn't before. Take a social norm for how to dress at a funeral, for example. The color black in our culture, with that I mean the Australian culture and in fact the Swedish culture where I come from, symbolizes grief. The color black symbolizes grief. And therefore there's a social norm that we wear black clothes to a funeral. It's either to show that we are grieving or even if we are not grieving or not supposed to be grieving because we might be quite distantly related to the deceased. It's a way of showing respect for other people's grief at the funeral. But of course, it could have been that we had the color white or red as the signal for for grief. And in that case, we would have had social norms expressing uh, grief or respect for other people, other people's grief by dressing in white or dressing in red. But because we have black as the colour to wear at a funeral, if we were to show up at a funeral dressed in, I don't know, a red cocktail dress or a bright Hawaii Hawaii shirt, we would send a very clear signal. We would we would send the signal that I am so glad he finally dies or Great, I'm gonna get my hands on that on all that money or Finally, that neighbor that I hated is gone. So we, and we do that simply by dressing in clothes in a different color than the color that has been through social norms designated as the proper funeral color. So I think a lot of culture, a lot of culture is arbitrary, but it becomes bound up with these social norms such that certain types of behaviors suddenly carry meaning in a way that they wouldn't unless they had been built into our social, our fabric of social norms this way, like wearing black at a funeral.
0: Yes, when you mentioned before, too, about the, the titles, I had an, an experience with my daughter who attended a private school, and I went on an excursion, and the, the teacher came around and said, now, what would you like the, the girls to call you? And I said, well, I'd like to, them to call me Beth. And she sort of frowned and then she went around to all the other mothers and then she came back to me again and showed me on her form that that all wanted to be referred to as uh, Dr. Jones and Mrs. Smith and sort of asked me to reconsider my position And I said, uh, I said, oh, you know, she said, you know, this is the situation. And I said, oh, well, that's good. But I'd still like the girls to call me Beth. And she looked quite cross about the situation. (laughs) So I think perhaps it would have been different if my daughter had have attended a state school.
1: Well, that's uh, I mean, this points to how social norms can be very specific to particular communities or groups within a community like a school. There would there would be special there would be social norms that will be typical for that particular school um or for different kinds of schools. So my my children attend a public school and I have so far never encountered the any expectation that they address me with a title. Normally they just refer to me as, you know, the mum of such and such. <laughs> But, but still, no, I haven't come across that. And in Sweden, it's interesting. You know how in some newspapers you can write in with a question about an etiquette and somebody answers? Yes. Yeah, so, so there was recently... There is, one, there is a person who answers these kind of etiquette questions in the most prestigious newspaper. She has a lot of social status. She's the guru of etiquette, really. And not that long ago somebody wrote in and said and, and asked about the trend that's coming now among some young people in Sweden to start to revert back to addressing older people with titles or basically just using as some, some languages do have a uh, have a difference in the word for English be you a, a direct address and a formal address so using the formal address that is associated with using titles to people and whether this was correct or not and it turned out that most people in the older generation found it insulting that young people now address them in this way because it used to be that it wasn't just a matter of showing respect for for people older than you or, or so on it could also be used as a way of showing distance of creating social distance so basically Older people had lived at the time where the social norm was that everybody did address each other with titles, etc. were not happy with with the way the trend was going back to what it used to be before. And in fact, they found it insulting. They found that this was a way for young people to create social distance rather than a way of, of showing respect. And the advice from this etiquette guru was, do not address people with titles in Sweden. It is seen as offensive.
0: Mm, that is interesting. Sort of been a, a turnaround.
1: Now, one, one
0: thing that I remember from my childhood was if my mother invited a guest for dinner and they brought something along, you know, like a, a stick of garlic bread or a bottle of wine, well, she'd be very cross about it. And she thought of that as being an, an insult and sort of referring to the, you know, maybe she didn't have enough food to go around, so they'd better bring some. But when I sort of got out into the world, I, I found that it was a fairly common tradition for somebody to, to bring something when they're invited for dinner.
1: And I think this is a common phenomenon. The ambiguity about, as I would put it, what social norm applies or how a particular behavior ought to be interpreted. Sometimes social norm researchers talk about this as schemata, uh, narratives about how to interpret a situation. And once you have an interpretation determined, you do certain types of social norms apply. But if you interpret the situation slightly differently, other social norms will apply. And sometimes in the ambiguity between, between which kind of situation we are in, can have an enormous impact on what on what behaviour people take to be the appropriate one, and sometimes that ambiguity can then cause conflict if people disagree. So, as you said, you, you thought that your mother interpreted this uh, the bringing of a gift as a uh, as a message or a signal that they did not expect her to be able to provide for them, or have good wine or not being able to make the table pretty, or whatever it was that that this was supposed to, to signal. And if that is the symbolic meaning we give to the bringing of a bottle of wine or flowers, that there is a kind of implicit criticism or expectation that the other person who hosts the party cannot provide properly for the guests, then social norms against criticizing the host kick in, right? And so you do not criticize your host. You are by by in suggesting that they can't provide. And so therefore, your mother, who understood the behavior as having this symbolic meaning, took offense at what she thought of as a violation of the social norm against criticizing the host. But other people think that the bringing of a bottle of wine or some flowers to dinner party um, has a different symbolic meaning, namely the symbolic meaning of expressing gratitude and appreciation for the invitation. And we have social norms that say it is good. In fact, we are required to express gratitude and appreciation for an invitation to dinner. And so therefore, we are required to bring flowers or wine or some other widely understood gift a gift widely understood to be a good expression or a proper expression of such gratitude um, and appreciation as a gift for the host so it's all about it's all about what interpretation you give to the behavior what it what the social meaning of that behavior is and once you've decided what the social meaning is certain types of social norms kick in and so the same shall we say physical behavior as in bringing a bottle of wine can take on very different meaning depending on which interpretation one has given to this so if the social meaning of bringing a bottle of wine is criticism of the host when your guest shows up with that bottle at the door they are violating the social norm of not criticizing the host but instead if the social meaning given to bringing a bottle of wine is uh, an expression of gratitude and appreciation. When your guest shows up at your door bringing a bottle of wine, that person is complying with the social norm, namely the social norm of expressing gratitude and appreciation. Um, and because the understanding of what social meaning certain behaviors have can will vary between different subgroup, subcultures or groups in a society, sometimes... Locally, it might be in one village, it's one understood one way in another village it's understood in a different. sometimes it varies across generations, it can vary across schools and so on sometimes we it happens in our social life that we come across situations in which we have we give different social meaning to the same type of behaviour and we will have a conflict over which norms apply. And and who is complying or who is violating the,
0: the relevant social norms? Yes, I think the the best solution to that problem that I've, I've sort of come across has been communication before the dinner and asking uh, the, the the guest if they can bring some small thing, whether it's after dinner mints or you know you know just sort of a small contribution towards. The meal, and then if you ask them to bring that, and they're happy to bring it, that that seems to work out the best I've found.
1: It it often does, but notice that there's also social norms against asking for certain things. So sometimes, particularly in informal settings, it's we we often say, oh, could you?" could you bring some chocolates or could you maybe bring a salad if we do the meat and the, and the, and the potatoes or the rice or whatever it is we do, we do the barbecue. But, but that's because the dinner is understood as a social event where we all take part and we all participate to a bit. So hosting that event is not seen as the kind of situation in which you have to provide for everybody. But we do have, we do have norms about asking for particular expressions of gratitude and appreciation. So I do not tell my friends, even if I know that they like to, to bring, buy me something small for my birthday, I would not tell them, I would not give them a list and say, these are the things I want, please choose one of them. This is for children too. But grown-ups do not, because the gifts are supposed to be signaling, the, the signaling value of the gift somewhat disappears if it is understood as a request to bring a certain thing rather than a freely chosen act of showing gratitude and appreciation. But of course, given that there is a, such a social norm of bringing something, it isn't freely chosen, because if you were to show up without anything, uh, you were to violate a social norm. Uh, but these, but because the social norms are against sometimes even mentioning or discussing aspects of our, of our lives together social life can be fraught with various conflicts and misunderstandings and and perceived grudges um, such that yes if we, we were able to actually talk about these things a lot of these problems would disappear but we can't because in many circumstances there are norms against talking about the problems that other norms create
0: Yes that's a good point well thank you very much for coming onto the program today
1: Thank you very
0: much. And I've been speaking to Dr. Lena Erickson about social norms.
1: I'm Sue Dodds and you're listening to Radical Philosophy on 3CR Community Radio 855 on your AM dial.
0: Well, that's all we have time for today. Hope you've enjoyed the program and stay on.